So, as I said, uh, it's like a dream. Uh, I see many familiar faces and some new people. Anybody here for the first time? Oh. What's your name? Uh, John Shell. What? John Shell. Nice to have you, John. Anything Who else? Uh, Mark Champagne. Mark Champagne. And champagne. And champagne. And Cheryl champagne. 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 We've got the whole a whole case of champagne. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, we'd like to extend our thanks to all the efforts to uh, Riley Typer, who, uh, who's made this place happen. Uh, as I said, this is a dream come true. Um, we've all been wanting a nice place like this in Austin. Um, excuse me. I, I travel all the time. I forget where I am sometimes. So. In Asheville. It's very nice to have this place here. <clears throat> so I hope that all of you will come on a regular basis if you can. And I promise that whenever I come into this hemisphere, whenever I get over, if you'll have me, I'll, I will always come. So, uh, but a lot of people have done a lot of work to try to get something going here. And, and now Krishna is fulfilling those desires. So I thought I would talk on um, a nice verse. Bhagavad Gita, ninth chapter, 22nd verse. Uh, I don't know why this one, it just kind of came to me. Maybe Krishna wants me to talk on this verse. So, uh, By the way, this isn't a lecture. I, I'd like any time that, uh, once I've finished reading, which is going to read a short uh, bit, then at any time, please stop with any questions or comments, okay? Not now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I, what, what, who, uh, who are you? I don't register your name and how long you've been in the movement and how did you start? I just want like a brief... Yeah, video, okay. Please. Yeah. Basically, I am nobody and I'm nothing. <laughs> I have no position. Uh, I just wander. Uh, I've been in the movement since uh, late 74, 1974. I'm an initiated disciple of Srila Prabhupada. Um, I took the order of uh, Bonaprost about 10 years ago, and Bonaprost is someone who just doesn't really live anywhere, <clears throat> doesn't really have much. What they have, they use in Krishna's service, and I just simply travel. So, uh, pretty much around the world, mostly in the U.S., and uh, some in Europe and a lot in India. So, that's me. My name is Jivananda. Mm -hmm. Jivananda Das Bonachari. Got two Vanacharis in the room. Riley Thai does Vanachari. So, uh, Vanachari means uh, one who lives in the forest. So, uh, Vana is forest, and Chari is one who, one who dwells. So, Prabhupada said in this day and age, uh, uh, the forest for us is the, the city. So, in other words, instead of retiring from <coughs> active household life or business life or whatever, and going to the forest, which was done for many, many tens of uh, millions of years. Uh, nowadays, because of the preaching mission that we're all on, we retire from household life and go to the city, basically to, to just preach and to help as many people as we can. <coughs> so, that's pretty much, that's about all I can say about me. <laughs> of anything good anyway so. okay so today's verse Bhagavad Gita chapter 9 verse 22 I'll read the Sanskrit and then the translation and then Srila Prabhupada's purport Ananyas chintayantamam vejanaha paripasate tesham nityabhiyuktanam yoga shema Vayami Aham. <clears throat> Translation. This is Krishna speaking. But those who are always, excuse me, but those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental form, to them I carry what they lack and I preserve what they have. So, I, well, how about if I say it? I'll say a few words and then we all repeat, okay? So, but those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental form, to them I carry what they lack, 
to them I carry what they have, and I preserve what they have, and I preserve what they have. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. One who is unable to live for a moment without Krishna consciousness cannot but think of Krishna 24 hours a day. Being engaged in devotional service by hearing, chanting, remembering, offering prayers, worshiping, serving the lotus feet of the Lord, rendering other services, cultivating friendship, and surrendering fully to the Lord. Such activities are all auspicious and full of spiritual potencies, which make the devotee perfect in self-realization. So that is the only desire, uh, so that his only desire is to achieve the association of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Such a devotee undoubtedly approaches the Lord without difficulty. This is called yoga. By the mercy of the Lord, such a devotee never comes back to this material condition, uh, condition of life. Shema refers to the merciful protection of the Lord. The Lord helps the devotee to achieve Krishna consciousness by yoga. And when he becomes fully Krishna conscious, the Lord protects him from falling down to a miserable condition life. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gorva Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So what is Krishna saying here? There's a lot in this verse. When you read it and read it again, you can see Krishna saying many, many different things. Uh, we have our realizations as we read Bhagavad Gita slowly. They come to us slowly. So, therefore, we read Bhagavad Gita again and again. But Krishna is saying, but those who always worship me with exclusive devotion. Exclusive devotion. What does this mean? What's he talking about? Have you ever thought about what is this exclusive devotion? So what we see is many times as we travel about <clears throat> in all parts of the world, there are many people who are uh, trying many different paths. They're they're doing a little of this, they do a little of that, you know. They do some of this kind of yoga, some of that kind of yoga. They believe in this one and they believe in that one. You see. They take a little bit of the Buddhist philosophy. They take a little bit of Christian philosophy. They take a little bit of Vaishnava philosophy. And they kind of put it all together and that kind of works well for them. It makes them feel like they're making some progress. And perhaps they are, but they get to a point to where uh, the progress may seem like it might uh, slow up. So Krishna's saying to them, but those who always, always, some key words here, those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental form. To them I carry what they lack and I preserve what they have. Now he's saying, it's just like when there's a relationship, when, when two people start to date. You know, they start to spend time with each other, maybe take in a movie, some dinner, and then they think, wow, I wonder if there's going to be another date. So sure enough, they decide, let's date again. So they, they get to associate with one another. So the relationship is developing. And there comes a point in every relationship, we're talking a personal relationship between two personalities here. There comes a point in every relationship to where we decide, are we going to be exclusive? Isn't it? Isn't it like that? So, Krishna is saying in a very sweet way that he wants you to be exclusive with him. This is a very tender thing. It's a very flattering thing that Krishna is saying. I would like 
you to be exclusive. I want to be exclusive with you. In other words, uh, I want you to take it to a higher level. In other words, uh, I want to get more personal with you. I want you to worship me exclusively. What he's meaning is that I want our relationship to get more real. I want it to have more meaning. In other words, I want you, if you will, it's your choice, I want you to become more serious in our relationship. You see? And that's kind of a scary turning point in any relationship. You see? You may say at that point, <clears throat> well, my dear Lord, I don't know if I want to be exclusive because it's been kind of interesting just visiting a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And I haven't had to make any commitments. I'm straddling so many fences and I may not be going anywhere, but I, I'm a little scared to go further and make commitments to you, you see. So that happens to everyone. We get in, in, in any type of relationship, even if in your job, you see. But Krishna is trying to, he's trying to get you to take that step closer, be a little bit more personal with him. Now, to be this uh, personal, or to take this step, we have to realize Krishna as a personality. Now some people may say yes, but, but God is, uh, I had dinner the other night with, with someone who was telling me that, but God is, is everything. God is energy. I'm God, you're God, we're all God. We're all part of this. This is all God. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give some worship to the kingdom of God without God. In other words, I want to go stay in your house when you're not home. You know? I, I, want, I want your stuff, but I don't want you to be there. Think about it. Which is okay. Some people may say, I just want the cosmic manifestation. And I want to see God as the energy flowing through all that be and on and on and on. And we can talk, talk, talk and not say much of anything about really describing the source of all this energy. The source of all this stuff. I mean, you look around. <clears throat> uh, when I'm in this part of the country, I notice there's so many trees everywhere you look. You know, there's so much. Here, I've just spent a lot of time out west and there's hardly anything out there yet. You can drive all day and hardly see anything but a cactus or two. But in this part of the world, there's so many, uh, you can see so many more living entities. So, uh, this is all Krishna's kingdom. This is, you could say, but this is God. Well, this is His energy. Yes. You know, there's light in this room. But there's a source for the light. It's coming from somewhere, you see. So if I want to enjoy the kingdom of God without God, that means I don't want to have a personal relationship with Him. I don't want to get that. Per I want to keep you, my dear Lord, at arm's length. Why? Why? I don't want to get personal with you. I'm afraid that you might ask me to do something. It, and you might ask me to do something I don't want to do. That's kind of a fear we have of God. This guy, God, you never know what he's going to ask. I mean, he's like, if I give him a personality, man, do you realize what I've just done? If I allow God to have a personality, isn't that scary? That means I can look him in the face. What would he say? What's he going to say? You know, is he going to chastise me? Is he, you know? So that's kind of scary for people if they're lacking one ingredient love. If we learn to love God, then we seek him out. We pursue him. You see? We become like, uh, what do they call uh, uh, groupies? <laughs> God groupies. You see? <laughs> we can't get enough of it. If you add the ingredient of love, it's like if you're making ice cream. If you have all the ingredients in the world and really sweet, really nice, but you leave out one main ingredient, sugar, then it's not very good ice cream, you see. Until you add love into your life, 
whether it be material life or spiritual life, you have a sum total of nothing except the expectation of someday finding love. You see? Without love, you have a zero life. Without love, you have a zero spiritual life. And we can have a deep appreciation for the beautiful splendor of this cosmic manifestation of Krishna's. You see, when we come to certain parts of the world, you think, wow, you really showed off here. You know, it's such a beautiful place. It's, mar it's just marvelous, magnificent. So it's just like if you go to an art gallery and you see some beautiful painting. Huh? You may think, oh, I think what the artist was trying to say here is this, and I can tell that his emotion was this, and whatever, I can speculate and speculate. But really, wouldn't it be nice to meet the artist? Well, my dear sir, you, you are you the one who created this beautiful painting? Well, I mean, I would like to ask you, what were you thinking when you did this? And what is what what was your mood and so on? And then we have truth, you see. I meet the artist and I get to know the artist. You see. I find out the consciousness behind the artist. So that's reality. Anything else is simply Speculation, mental speculation, mental concoction. If I don't allow God to have a personality, I have to concoct what this is all about. And I walk around with a spiritual life that has so many statements that lead nowhere. Hmm. When I say God is the ultimate universal energy, what the heck have I just said? A lot of people would say, yes, that's true. And it is true. What does it mean? What is that? What can I do with this universal energy? It is there and it's real. And you can worship it. You can achieve liberation into the universal energy. You as a living entity can merge, somewhat merge, into the light, the Brahma Jyoti. It's there. You can do it. But how are you going to experience love? Has anybody... That's what I ask when I, when I give these classes. Has anybody thought through the equation? You see? What do you get when you get liberation? What are you expecting? I ask that of Christians and Jews and uh, people, uh, Mohammedans. You see? Even some devotees haven't thought it through. Yes, I get a lot of mixed answers. Very few people have a plan. You see, it's just like I say to some people. <coughs> okay, so you're uh, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Yes, yeah. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Okay, so uh, what are you going to do once you get the moving van all unpacked? You got the heavenly moving van that's moving all of your stuff into your heavenly mansion. You know, you've got. A heavenly mansion, you've got to have heavenly stuff there. I mean, in heaven, they've got to have great stereos. You know, fabulous. You think we have big screen TVs here? Well, you see the big screen TVs there. So once you get everything moved in, you know, and you get the paper set up so the paper boy's going to deliver your paper, you're going to find a place to put the kids in school, <clears throat> you know, country club to join, what are you going to do? And a lot of times people say, well, well what, do you, what do you mean? What am I going to do? And I'm waiting for somebody to say, first thing I'm going to do before I think about any of that garbage is I'm going to go see him. I'm going to go pay a visit to the big guy. You know? I want to see who's, what this is all about. You see? So, if I want to be liberated but I'm just going to be part of the light, who will I associate with? I may be feeling some uh, uh, shanti, some peace. You know, typically people who want Brahman realization or liberation into the impersonal Brahma Jyoti, <coughs> they really are looking for peace. You see, they want a nirvanic situation. Well, nirvana is a Sanskrit word. Does anybody know what the true 
definition of nirvana is? Hmm? Yes? You mean uh, to come out of the forest of illusion? What it, 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 that, that's, that's a loose interpretation. It's a Sanskrit word, and it means nothing. It means void. Nothing. A place where there's nothing. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a place to go to come out of the agitation of the material world so you can achieve shanti, peace. You can finally be peaceful by leaving this material world. It's used by the Buddhists? Uh, it, well, it's used by the Buddhists and anybody who speaks Sanskrit. The devotees, you know, Vaishnava, they also use it. It's, but it's, uh, it, it became popular when uh, the Westerners described it. And they thought that nirvana meant a, a place to really feel good. You know. But all it means is you get the peace of, of not having any material agitations. It means that you're a, a place where nothing can bother you. It means void. According to the teachings of Amida Buddha, it means void. Seek out the void, you see. So, if you're there and you have this peace, then that sounds really good. But how long can you just be peaceful? What next? Sooner or later, your mind is going to say, okay, this is great. Oh, I'm really peaceful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Did I tell you I'm peaceful? How about you over there? Are you peaceful? That's really peaceful over here. Anybody not peaceful? Why well, I'm really peaceful. What are we going to do next? If you could communicate with others, but you don't have senses, you don't have that. You're just you're part of the nirvanic situation. And you can go there. I'm not saying this is real. You can do this if you want. And so many people believe that they want this. You see. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying we're holier than thou. I'm just saying that wouldn't it be nice to meet the orchestrator of all this? The one who created the void as well as this beautiful cosmic manifestation? Wouldn't it be good to hold his hand? And to listen to him say sweet things, and you say sweet things to him, you see, to embrace, to get close, to find out what he's all about. You, can you imagine if you could sit down with Krishna? You'd have a million questions. You'd have millions of questions. And not only that, millions of, of compliments to give him. You know, Krishna, I was always, I've always wanted to ask you this. By the way, has anyone ever told you how beautiful your smile is? <laughs> and who does your hair? Your hair is so beautiful. You're just dazzled by this gorgeous creature. See. Well, so we can see why Krishna is saying, worship me with exclusive devotion. You see? Now, once we get close enough to Krishna, we will be exclusive with him. We won't be attracted to anything or anybody. He's just too attractive not to be fixated upon, you see. But we don't have to wait until the time we die to have this fixation on Krishna, this attraction and attachment to Krishna. Yes, Prabhu. Baba, I, I follow uh, Sadhguru uh, in India, and she travels. Her name is uh, Mata Amritananda Mahima Amachi. And, um, I just want to point this out. She, when this question was raised to her, it's simple. It's exactly what you're saying. But she said that many people dr drill a well here, then they go, oh my gosh, there's no water. Then they drill a well here, they go, 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 no water, and they give up. Or they keep dragging, they keep doing the wells and never get to the water. So she <laughs> says, you, for you, you must be that focused, that relationship that you're talking about, for you to get to the water. Right. Yeah. It's it's just like. Um, uh, are you married? Yes. Okay. Let's say you and your wife walk into a, a travel agent and you say, we want to go on vacation. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing the travel agent's going to say? Where? Where do you want to go? And if you just say, well, uh, 
we really haven't thought about that. We just want to be on vacation. Well, you know, you've got to give me a little bit of a destination here. So before you can choose your destination, you've got to figure out, well, what's available? What are my choices? You know, the, the travel agent may say, well, you can go to the mountains. You know, you go to Asheville. That's a very beautiful place. You can go to Las Vegas. You know, if you want to party, you can go to the beach. If you want to get a suntan, you've got to tell me what you're looking for. So this is, this is the process of intelligence. Before we start on a spiritual path, we want to know where it would take us, what's at the end when I get there. Not, well, it's really fashionable. Everyone, everybody on my block is doing this. It's all over the Internet, this particular path. But what am I going to do when I get there? What do I get? What's in it for me? You see? So my purpose is to say, yes, there are many different destinations. In, in India, they say that uh, Yatoma, what is it? Yatoma Patoka, isn't it? Patotoma, yeah. Which means so many destinations, <coughs> so many paths. And they do that when, when they're trying to say, I don't want to talk about anything, you know. <laughs> I don't want to talk about spiritual life. So many destinations, so many paths. <clears throat> but, so we're trying to help people figure out what they want. And by doing that, we want to tell you that there is a personal, loving relationship with Krishna. Personal meaning that you will be with him constantly. You'll be riveted to him, would be so attracted to Krishna once you get close to him that you can't think of anything else. And it's like Prabhupada says here, one who is unable to live for a moment without Krishna consciousness cannot think, cannot but think of Krishna 24 hours a day. You see, this is called love. When you fall in love, you think of your beloved all the time. You can't get them out of your mind. You try to go to sleep at night, you're thinking, Oh, I love it. You see, it's like that. This is transcendental love. It's falling in love with the supreme personality of Godhead. The supreme storehouse of love. That which all love comes from. The source of everything. The source of love is God. The loving, the, the personality of Godhead, Krishna is unlimited. Godhead is unlimited. He has unlimited personalities. But the personality of Krishna is called the Supreme Personality, not because we're trying to say, well, we're better than you or whatever, but because that is the personality that you share love with. And I mean love to the point where you don't even, in the perfected stage, you don't even see him as God. You just see him as wonderful, beautiful Krishna, the object of your love. You see? Now you've got to to get that close to Krishna, you've got to get the God thing out of the way or else you're going to have an impediment. You're going to have some awe and reverence. Awe and reverence will kill love. You see? It's, it'll stand in the way. Krishna wants all of your love. Krishna wants all of your thoughts. He wants you to, he wants you to love him in such a way that you can hardly go to sleep at night because you're thinking about him. You see? And... The truth is, on the other end, he's doing the same thing. He's thinking about you all the time. And because he's God, he can think of all living entities like that. Every living entity is his favorite. He's the supreme. He can do that. You see. So, this is what we're saying. This is what Krishna is saying here. Now, he's saying, if you do that, if you uh, always worship me with exclusive devotion, which means... You know, I want to be really exclusive with you. And if you're meditating on my transcendental form, meaning thinking of me as a person, the supreme person, but a person, not just energy. If that's what you want, then you're going to have to leave the love thing out. You're not going to be able to love energy. I mean, you can't love electricity. You can't love sunlight. You, you, now, some people will try to argue. But if you really believe you can love energy, then you don't know anything about love. Love is so deep that you can't love something that you can't see, touch, 
relate with, have a personal relationship with, it's not possible. And if it, meditating on my transcendental form. Now, what's he gonna what do you get if you give him all of your love and all of your meditation? Krishna says, to them I carry what they lack. What does that mean? What's he saying here? And I'll preserve what they have. It means that whatever you have, you're not going to lose anything. You keep, I'll preserve everything you have. You approach me, you will not lose anything. And I'll carry, I'll provide whatever you're lacking. You see? Now you might say, well, I'm lacking uh, faith. If you want to love me, I'll give you the faith. I'm lacking knowledge, I'll give you the knowledge. Well, I'm lacking that. I'll give you that. Whatever. Krishna says, you won't lose anything. I won't take anything away. But I'll provide whatever you lack. If we can be exclusive. You see? So, so, so this is also working toward the, in, in, in a real deep level with your vasanas, your tendencies from, your, from let's say, your past births. Because like from what I understand, you know, um, I've come in with my karma, right? Mm -hmm. From my past birth, whatever happened there. And, and, and also the karma that I'm attaining here. Right. So how does that work into that? Because uh, you're talking about lacking, not lacking, and... and pa past births uh, are kind of like yesterday. Yeah. It's gone. Time has eaten it. Now there is karma. Now, whatever action you perform, perform, there's a reaction, whether it's good or bad. There's karma, a karma, the karma, there's not just karma, mm -hmm. you know. Karma means uh, as you sow, so shall you reap. You do this, you get that. Cause and effect. Vikarma is the results from sinful activity. You do something evil, you get evil done to you. No, we don't want either of those. Not even the good karma. Good karma can cause you to have to take birth. Mm -hmm. To accept your good karma. Mm -hmm. We don't want to take birth. No. We want to get out of here. What if you want to come back here and, and illuminate more people? Well, um, that might be. You can do that. It would be better if you surrender to Krishna. And Krishna would say to you, Hey, you know, I'd like you to go back and illuminate more people. Mm. Now I'm acting as his servant. Mm -hmm. yeah, my dear Lord, I don't have the policy. Look, I'll give it to you. I'll give you whatever you need. I can supply anything and everything. So what we want is... <laughs> Ah, karma. No karma. When you do things as an act of devotion, service to Krishna, whatever you do, if you do it as an offering to Krishna, there is no karmic reaction. You get not, not good, not bad. And that tends to erase karma, you see. When one takes initiation from a bona fide spiritual master, all the karma is taken away anyway. You come to the guru when you're you're dirty. <clears throat> you've got good karma and bad karma. You've got so much, you see. But the guru says, if you'll follow my instructions, then I will deliver you. By the mercy of Krishna, one gets guru. By the mercy of guru, one gets Krishna. I will deliver you to Krishna. And this karma thing, we're going to wipe this slate clean. Unfortunately, most of the time, People start to do some little bits of sinful activity again. Like the tendencies I'm talking about, how some tendencies are stronger for me, I know. Mm -hmm. in, like when I was 18 years old to 25, and I know now looking back that, or even like yesterday, certain things are still difficult for me. Because for example, I still like to eat meat sometimes, mm -hmm. and that there's a thing there. But like the other, like two months ago, I gave up eating pig meat altogether, I didn't eat very much. But I went to see how the pigs live, mm -hmm. and it hit me so strong, and I hadn't seen the pigs live like that. And it just hit me so strong that it's caused me completely aversion to it. And well, now, but what in what in seeing the way the pigs lived caused the aversion? What was it? What was it that changed? It looked like they looked like that there was, there was their own spirits trapped in their own bodies, but they they weren't conscious of it, you know. And in the way they were living, the way they were, the, how they were eating, and I I didn't even want them as a pet. So I'm so like, why, why, the way they're living, why am I eating this? The why way, would I eat this? Yeah, because somehow my parents grew me up, you know, German background, Brazilian, whatever. Yeah, yeah. All of us were fed 
Yeah. We were fed that from birth. So how does that, yeah. Uh, to get over that, we, the first way, the, the best way, uh, the most potent way, is to have a change of heart. And that's done by compassion. Well, right, like I thought I I to myself, I said, if I was, would I, would, I, would I kill this animal for me to eat it myself? I, do, I said, no. Right. I, said, I couldn't do it. But, like a fish, I can catch a fish and kill a fish and eat a fish, no problem. But then you'd have to suffer the karma for killing right. a fish. But it's different kind and of karma than being a pig, right? Because some people say, but look, I never killed a pig. I ate them, but I never killed them. I never killed a cow or a chicken. But did you know that in the law, if you hire somebody to kill somebody, right. and they catch that person who shot that person, and they're going to put them, they're going to give them the, well, they don't do electric chair anymore. They're going to give them death, lethal injection. The guy comes clean and says, hey, look, that wasn't my idea. He paid me to do it. He gave me $50,000. Then he gets a reduced sentence, and you get the death penalty. So it's not the guy splitting the throat so much as it is the people who pay for it to be done. You see, that karma... The biggest part of that karma flows on to them. So, but if we can give up eating meat out of compassion, you see, the best way, to, the best reason to give up eating meat is to please Krishna. And that goes back to your relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. he's not going to like me as much if I'm eating meat or if I'm smoking, yeah, if I'm I drinking. Would, or I wouldn't want him to. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I want to make you happy, my Lord. And he's saying, well, then why are you killing my pigs? What have you got? It's just like in America, I noticed, <clears throat> boy, it's, it, America's not a good place to be a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's <laughs> a good point. You know, I'm an old person. I remember when salads were lettuce. <laughs> now they throw chicken in everything. Yeah. Chicken is everywhere. Because people started trying to sidestep red meat because, why? Was it out of compassion? No, no, the, the C word wasn't there. It was... Uh, Many years ago, uh, 30 years ago, some, some doctors uh, proclaimed that if you, if you eat certain foods, if you, eat, uh, if you take milk and certain things like that, cholesterol will uh, coat your blood vessels and it'll lead to a heart attack. And you know what? The same scientists, 30 years later, have said, oh shucks, we were wrong. That wasn't true. I've got a clip on uh, by doctors. Uh, one of my soon-to-be disciples is a doctor, and she sent me this clip that the doctors are saying we were wrong. We really missed it. So this whole thing when you when you take two percent uh, milk or fat-free yogurt and all the go on a fat-free diet, high in carbohydrates. You know what that does? It causes a coating on your blood vessels. It causes exactly... So after 30 years of study, they wondered, why hasn't heart disease decreased? And they started to re... Now we have computers and we have better ways of doing things. So they started to go back and redo the data. Look at it again. And they realized, we're wrong. You should eat. Whole, whole milk, whole yogurt, that's better for you. And uh, I don't know what they mean, the article said, uh, colorful fruits and vegetables. I don't know if that means you shouldn't eat the uncolorful, I don't know what, but colorful fruits and vegetables will keep you from having heart disease. In other words, eat the way people used to eat when heart disease was almost uh, not present. Somebody should have thought of that, you know, well, there was a time when heart disease was, was very, very rare. What did people eat in those days? They rarely ever, even people in America, rarely ever ate meat. You couldn't kill your animals because they were working for you. Maybe once in a while, they, you know, on a special holiday or something. Of course, if you were rich, you could, you could do it all the time. <coughs> but those people had a tendency to die early. Why? Heart disease. See, but the common man who had animals working on his farm, he, did, he couldn't afford to kill his animals. So it was a very rare thing. And 
in societies where there is no consumption of meat, there is practically no heart disease. Mm -hmm. And they eat lots of real yogurt. And milk is not watered down. All they did is take milk. The marketers in America are so genius. They watered down the milk and convinced you that you needed to have it and sold it to you for the same price as the whole milk, which they'd already taken the cream off of. You see, we're so unfortunate. So, Prabhu, one thing like we hear about compassion a lot, actually, you know, people say that we should be compassionate towards anim like animals in particular cats, dogs, but the same people will be eating hamburgers and all. So like, so so when we, when you said compassion, like, yeah. should it be just restricted to particular living entities, just the human beings, yeah. or just the cats? Selective or, compassion. So should it be expanded to all? Selective love. I love, but not you. You I'll kill. Him I love. <laughs> and I'm civilized. No. Compassion is compa compassion and love come from the heart. They come from the soul. Easier said than done. That's really easy said and done. And it takes many maybe awakening to do to do it. But that's because because you see, you have the you know, the Islam, the Hindu, I mean the Hindus, the Muslims, the Christians, it's everybody and then you get in there and then there's a fundamentalism. And then they say, no, we are right, they're wrong. You're going to get to that point, too, until you go through that, because with Krishna, there's no right or wrong at that point, if you get to that point. Yeah, later on in, in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna wants to know, Krishna, what is, it, what is your point? What is the main secret that you have to tell me? And Krishna says, Sarvadharma Pratyamamaya. What is it? Abandon all forms of religion and just surrender to me. I will deliver you. So he makes that promise. I'll I'll carry you. I'll deliver you. And he says, have no doubt. Was, step aside from all the religions. Don't become attached to religion. I'm God. Surrender to me. Become my loving servant. Develop our relationship. I'll do the rest. I will deliver you. I want you to, to start loving me. It's okay. It's very nice that you wave incense at me and ring bells and you do all. This is real sweet. But it should lead you to the point to where you want to embrace me. Because I want to embrace you. We've always had an eternal love affair. And you stopped on your end. I didn't. I'm still in love. I still want that relationship that we've always had. See. That's what I want. You have free will and you can do as you like. But that's what I want. So, uh, well, once we start a relationship with Krishna like that, though, something like giving up meat, it's very easy. Very easy. When you start a personal relationship with Krishna, it becomes very easy. Because so many people, practically everybody that I know, uh, that's, that's in, in our movement, uh, was a meat eater before. And it seemed like a great austerity to give up meat. Just I know I know I, I know exactly what you're thinking. Because when I first heard this philosophy back in the early 70s, I thought, no way. Give up meat? Look, I buy into everything you're saying, you know, but the meat thing? I mean, why do I what does it matter what I eat? For crying out loud. I, I just didn't. But then by the course of events, I thought, uh, later on, after I found it very easy to give up meat, as my consciousness grew a little bit, and I started feeling a tiny bit of love, it, I, it, was, it cast it aside like anything. Now, looking back, it would be a tremendous austerity to eat meat. <laughs> well, actually, I go through, like, um, um, when I have the, the, the way to do not work, you know, I'm not busy with work, I do um, studies like where I don't eat. You know, I'll go and I'll cleanse my system. And when I come and approach food again, just food alone, because mm -hmm. I feel so much light. I feel so close to God, however that is. And just that energy is just so, and I feel so much love for everybody. And when I start eating, I start getting back down. And then I come back, and especially when I eat meat, I feel really... Well, know. one thing that, <clears throat> that all of us should do is, is to include eating as part of our worship. Mm -hmm. In other words, whatever we eat, we should offer first to Krishna. Mm -hmm. 
or God, if you feel uncomfortable calling him Krishna, God. I pray, I pray before I eat, yeah, Baba. Yeah. But you so, that means in other words, let's prepare it. Yeah. For, for it. Let's prepare what we... Lord Jesus Christ said, remember me when you eat and drink. Mm -hmm. Meaning, think of me. If you define that further, it was make your offering to me. This comes from God. Offer it back. You know, when it, say thanks. You know, so... There are some things that God says I, I'll, I'll accept. And some things He won't. If I say, well, look, I'm going to kill one of your critters and fry it up and offer it to you, He says, I, I will not accept it. I will not accept it under any circumstances. Now, there's a process that you can go through with certain mantras to where you can offer a burnt offering. Not every day, though. You see? And he's, he doesn't care for those things. If you have lower consciousness, you may have to do like that. Mm -hmm. But Krishna says, with, if you offer me with love and devotion, a flower, a fruit, a leaf, or water, with love and devotion, I will accept it. And a fruit means any kind of vegetable, any kind of fruit, anything leafy. You know, the proper foods. If you offer that food stuff that you're going to eat, it's just like... Uh, when I when I'm visiting friends that are Christians, they'll hold hands and they'll say they'll say a prayer to the Lord. They'll pray before they eat. You see, this is the this is the same process. You're making an offering to God. Thank you for this. We take it a step further. We don't even taste it when we're preparing. Consciousness says we made it. You see, and God accepts the offering. He accepts it. Because it's done with love and devotion. He doesn't need the fruit and vegetables. Very good he wants yeah. the love. You see. He doesn't have to eat. He likes to eat, but he doesn't have to. You see. But it's the love that you go through. Before I go, you know, like when I'm cooking, if I'm like, oh, let me see if it's got enough salt. You know. Well, before I do that, if I go ahead and 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 uh, and prepare it without tasting it. Because I want him to be the first to taste it. And then we serve it up to him offer some prayer. Now, he accepts it by becoming the offering. He becomes, now you're eating sanctified food, which is what we're about to do in about three minutes. <laughs> we're about to eat uh, food that has been cooked especially for God's tongue and offered to him without anybody tasting. He's the first in love and devotion. And then when he sees the food, he actually eats the food with his eyes. His, his senses are interchangeable because he's God. And then he becomes the offering. Hmm. So the devotee takes eating and makes that a spiritual part of his worship. Just even eating. Even if it's a snack. Like prasad. Becomes prasad. Mm -hmm. Prasad means uh, mercy of God. Hmm. So... Thank you. It's good topics. Really good. I said to my wife, man, we got to go to church. We haven't been to church. And then I started to get this email about this place. I was like, oh, we've been waiting for this. So this is really amazing. Yeah, we're so glad that you came. That we all so came. That we all, all came here, you know. So glad all of you came. It's really sweet. So you asked for Huji. Um, I just have one other question, too. I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I think I read, I read, I mean, I definitely read somewhere where Prabhupada said that, uh, there's, there's no void anywhere within the creation. Actually, that's, that's true. Um, the pure definition of nirvana really doesn't exist. There is no zero void. God's energy is everywhere. There's no place where you can go to be without Him. Now, He may create a place for you to go where you think you're without Him. You know, but that's just your nonsense. So you can't escape because God is the source of everything. Everything emanates from God. And if there was a void, it would have to come from Him. So it would be part of His energy. So there's, there's no such thing as a, as a complete void. Um, the Brahma Jyoti is void-like, but it's not void. Because the Brahma Jyoti is His energy. It's like, you, you know, you see a, a light bulb and you say, oh, that's really beautiful. And you know, I love the light. I want to, get, I want to approach the light. 
And if you have intelligence, you'll realize, hey, there's a source to this light. There's this little wire that's curled around and it's glowing. So there's a source to the light. So when you chase out the source of the source of the source and you get to the very source of everything, you've found God. Yes? Um, what about uh, in hell? Is, is that still... Like Krishna doesn't go to hell, obviously. Personally, Krishna is hell. How so? Hell emanates from Krishna. Hell is any place where, we, where we're not conscious of Krishna. We could be in paradise. We created it. Yeah, we could be in paradise. This beautiful part of his creation and be completely hellish. When we lose consciousness of God, we are in hell. Now, as far as the physical, there are lower planets in the planetary system. There are fiery planets. And there are heavenly planets. But you could be on a fiery, hellish planet and be Krishna conscious and be completely blissful. I mean, we can prove that. I mean, it's just like I travel all the time. Sometimes I find my, myself in a beautiful, opulent place like this, with trees everywhere. Sometimes I'm in Arizona where it's 115 degrees. <laughs> and I'm, I'm out walking because I have to walk every day. I'm walking and chanting Hare Krishna. Sweet. I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm whoever I am, wherever I am. Some places are nicer than others, but my duty is the same. My service is the same no matter where I go. You see. So any place that we're not conscious, personally conscious of God, is hellish. We're in a hellish condition, even if we think, "Oh, I'm enjoying so much." And soon that will change, and we won't be enjoying so much. Someone said, I was saying that not too long ago, someone said, yes, but what if I'm very wealthy? What if I have all the money of Bill Gates? Hmm. I said, then old age will come and get you. One advantage of getting old is you realize, you have the realization that you're not this body. You know? This body's not going to be able to entertain me and give me any enjoyment. This body's going downhill fast. <laughs> now, when I was in my 20s, I thought that might happen, but that's 100 years from now. And now, here it is. It's knocking on my door. Who is it? Old age, let me in. Can you come back tomorrow? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, I think we should wrap it up now. Let's, now let's eat to our full satisfaction. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.